Welcome back to Aligning America. I'm your host, Vincent Miller, and let's get right into things. First off, we're going to go over a story that I'm sure you've heard of. Senate Democrats have retreated on their promise of a $15 minimum wage along with the stimulus package. They have now abandoned the idea of conjoining the two ideas. And quite honestly, they're a bit spineless about this. Why do I mean that? Well, if you recall, they very specifically, when this was introduced, Joe Biden has, as on the campaign trail, of course, many times quoted as saying he would raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. This, of course, has been a very long-standing progressive talking point. $15 an hour is not even scaling per inflation, of course, since the last time it was federally raised. But even in a micro, under a microscope, you've got Joe Biden going back on a campaign promise because he has now declared he will not focus on the $15 minimum wage. He will not focus on the minimum wage at all at the very first sign of trouble. This is the stimulus package that needs to go out to struggling Americans, $1.9 trillion to struggling Americans. And along with that, he's feeling like we can't at this point, there is no availability for an omnibus package that has multiple large bills inside of it, which is fine if he had proposed a separate bill going forward with the issue of the $15 minimum wage, which of course he hasn't. So that does bring up the question. Well, Joe, if the $15 minimum wage is not going to be part of the bill, I'm sure the bill is at least going to have some redeeming upsides that Democrats will favor, right? No, no, not at all. Actually, the the bill has only decreased in what would uh, any left left leaning Democrat. I mean, I say Democrat now as I, I do view Democrats, at least in American politics these days, to be more of a centrist party. Far are the days of the Bernie Sanders Democrats. I do not think that we are at the Bernie Sanders and Hillary level. I think we've moved far to the right of that. I think Hillary Clinton was a far more left-leaning president than Joe Biden will ever be, which is something that everybody knew when they signed on to it. That much was clear. However, it appeared he had made concessions, which he is no longer willing to make, which does include the $15 minimum wage, which does include that money coming out going from 2000 to 1400 And now the newest cut in the spending. And it's it's not the, the funny part is it's not even a cut in spending. It is still one point nine trillion. The money has now just been rerouted. Republicans and centrist Democrats have decried the bill for having spending on too many places that are not directly covid relief that are not actually going to the citizens. That makes you wonder, where is it going? Well, of course, it is still a relief bill. A good number of the billions of dollars are going to relief in infrastructure. The majority of it is going to state and local legislatures and governments to work on their own COVID response, which I think is that's fine. I think that's a a good portion of the bill, and it should be. I think local and localities, I think local governments have more agency over the actions. I think it's more the worth the bang for your buck to, to get down to it is so much better when local governments are the ones delegating, when they're the ones who are paying the workers to do what they need to be done inside their communities, as what is needed in Missouri is not always needed in Montana and is not always needed in Alaska, Hawaii, California, or New York. So I understand that. But the problem is they've now cut the Social Security extra funding that was going to be $400 in extra Social Securities for those who are struggling under unemployment, that bonus unemployment through the Social Security system is gone. It's now $300. Why cut it by 100? These are, of course, unemployment benefits that are already going to struggling Americans. This has been decided that they have been struggling, that they need more cash relief. Why cut the monthly spending on them 
if you're not even going to be giving them one, the full $2,000 you promised, or two, the $15 that you had promised in the campaign that you would tie to this bill as a landmark part of the bill. That is the questionable part here. So what it shakes down to really is that there's a West Virginian senator and a Montanan senator, those being Democrats that are incredibly centrist and borderline right wing. The fact is that in all honesty, they, they might as well be Republicans because they do not stand for what the Democrats as a whole are trying to push. But regardless of the letter in front of their name on the legislature, it doesn't matter. They're unwilling to come and make this 50-50 vote available for the Democrats, which, of course, is what's needed to have Kamala Harris cast the tiebreaker and to pass the bill through the Senate, which, of course, is being obstructed by every Republican in form. You're seeing even people like Mitt Romney refusing to cross borders on this, largely due to the large size of the spending. But then, of course, you question why is it that when Donald Trump spends a trillion dollars, no one bats an eye or three trillion to give to the Fed? Why does no Republican care about the deficit then? Well, of course, it's it's all partisanship and that's what's ruining the country. And so you look at this divisive partisan lines being what is forcing Democrats to concede to two people. Two people in the Senate are deciding what exactly goes into this bill. And theoretically, it could be more if they broke rank on it, but most of them are staying in party lines to ensure their reelection. You're looking at, quite honestly, a very meek and, and sad bill. You're looking at a very, very weak $1.9 of which almost all of it will not be seen by the general population who is the one struggling. I don't care how many millionaires want money. I don't care how many billionaires want tax cuts. What I care about is the people who are starving, the people who are now trying to pay rent, who are being evicted. I mean, these things are just it's abhorrent and it's sad. And it's sad that the money that we do have, we aren't even willing to spend on the people who need it because we are too concerned with three or four or five opinions in a national legislature that is so disparaged and, and, and disattached from reality that it's it's hardly even comical at this point. One could argue that it is comical and it has reached comical levels or even hysterical levels of detachment from reality. But regardless of it, you're seeing Bernie Sanders, of course, mentioned before uh, as what is essentially the vanguard of the left, the man who is definitely the leftmost senator in the Senate as we speak. He is now promising to bring that vote to a head in the Senate, the $15 minimum wage nationally. Uh, you see him and Elizabeth Warren being the only two with vocal support in the Senate of the bill. I question whether people throughout the Democratic Party, to be honest, I, I think what it stands to do is is be a testament to those who are unwilling to vote for it. And if it's not 50-50 on partisan lines, which, of course, would then they would have forced Kamala Harris's hand, of course, you're going to see which Democrats are, are not following party lines. You're going to see which Democrats refuse to, to stick with campaign promises that, quite honestly, the $15 minimum wage is not a new idea. It's been pushed since the Obama era. So if, if these Democrats want to claim it's not a Democratic idea, they're going to have to detach from Obama. And by God, they refuse to let go of those coattails. So I wonder which Democrats are going to refuse to vote. I'm guessing, of course, people like Manchin from West Virginia and the senator from Montana probably will vote against it. But which others? Will it be 48-52? In which case you have two senators that are on very thin ice. Or does it shake out more like 35 Democrats willing to vote, which would be concerning. And what it would do is, I think what the primary goal of this forced vote is, is to have Senator Bernie Sanders root out those who are unwilling to stick to leftist and more left leaning principles in the Democratic Party and see where it goes from there. Who gets primaried? 
who gets put in the national spotlight as the person who voted against it? Those are the questions that then arise. Moving on to the next segment, of course, we have the action in Syria being the great return to Obama era that everyone had paraded around come 2020 because we have Biden back. We have dignity back in the White House. And what does dignity always come with when it's Democrats and Republicans? Let's be honest, the Democrats don't shy away from it either. Internationally, laws being broken and shattered and mass murder on a scale that is not seen at the home front, because why would it be? Because they're disingenuous and, and horrible people sometimes. That, of course, being these Syria bombs being dropped through drone strikes, which is, of course, returned to form for Obama, Yemen and Yemenis know plenty about that. Uh, there were bombs apparently approved by the Biden admin in northern Syria near Damascus. The Pentagon, of course, claiming one dead and two wounded, all three of them being combatants, quote unquote, who, of course, were part of a Shia militant group that was located in Syria, which, of course, is part of the ongoing Syrian civil war, which we have absolutely nothing to do with. But that Syrian conflict, those Shiite people who ended up getting killed are, of course, of the sect of the Islamic religion that is more militant and, of course, is the majority of Iran's population. So you look at Iran, who was scheduled to have a meeting with the U.S. on human rights and a return to the quote-unquote Iran deal, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. That has all been shut down because international groups, of course, are reporting 22 dead with more than 50 wounded, most of them not being combatants or even affiliates of combatants. So who's right? Well, you could say the U.S. or you could look at the many, many coups that were pulled off through the last 50 to 70 years by the CIA and ask them. And they say, oh, it wasn't us when there is multiple, multiple international accounts of them, of course, doing that. So I'm not surprised the government would lie about figures of non-combatants being murdered, much like what happened under the Obama and Trump administrations, a continuation of the war on terror that started post 9-11 in the fervor of American patriotism that ended up being channeled into things like the Patriot Act and the expansion of big business in the military. So we see Raytheon getting billions of dollars instead of, of course, the COVID relief we talked about earlier. We can all agree on billions of dollars to defense contractors so we can go and bomb non-combatants during weddings at hospitals and, of course, in their homes and, and hometowns. That, of course, makes us the good guys and, and the propagators of the democracy on the world stage in our eyes. But I have a feeling a lot of Iranians and a lot of Syrians don't feel that way. And quite honestly, I'm not surprised when they refuse to come to the table. As I mentioned earlier, the talks broke down, even as Biden promised concessions in a, in a bid, really, to rejoin the 2015 JCPOA Act, which was called the Iran deal in most news outlets, which actually stood for the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which I didn't know until now. It, of course, was the agreement that assets would be released to Iranian bank execs and those who had assets frozen outside of the country in return for reduced nuclear turnover in Iran. That, of course, has been broken down under the Trump admin and now is essentially not going to happen ever again, because the problem with that is when you unfreeze assets, they get them all. And most of them are now in the hands of those who the Iranian businessmen who, who made the money. You could argue we didn't have any right to freeze them anyways, but that's neither here nor there. Now, what we're talking about is whether or not we can get them to agree to a deal that reduces nuclear 
the, the science behind nuclear weapons being so popular these days, because the, the next thing we need is two nuclear superpowers who are alienated by the rest of the world and have nothing to lose. Looking at you, North Korea, we see in Iran, if it's true that they could at least possibly create some sort of nuclear warhead or, or nuclear weapon, which is still questionable, by the way, if you look at the last 20 years, there have been news outlets propagating war against Iran, saying that they're just months, just weeks away from a nuclear weapon. Well, it's been 20 years and they're still not any closer, evidently, or they, they haven't even claimed to. And if you're going to be an authoritarian regime looking to instill fear in the rest of the world, I'd imagine you would at least lie a few times about how far you've gotten in the progress. So the fact that they still do not claim to have nuclear weapons or have made great results in, in their testing of nuclear weapons, I have to imagine that all this talk of weapons of mass destruction and all this talk of, of truly horrendous capabilities of attack in the Middle East reminds me a whole lot of Iraq, reminds me a whole lot of Desert Storm, reminds me a whole lot of the beginning of the war on terror, which has led to trillions and trillions of dollars and thousands and thousands of lives being poured into and lost in the Middle East for absolutely no reason. So I, I sit here now looking at these news articles. I, I sit here now looking at these drone strikes, and I have to wonder why. On a very base level, we all know it's wrong. So why? And our last story for today, of course, is going to be a real cheerful one. That, of course, being the celebration and the absolute ecstatic nature of Texas being reopened 100%. And that is a quote from Governor Greg Abbott. That is his words, not mine. He is opening Texas 100% in the middle, of course, of a pandemic that has spanned more than one year which should speak for itself at a time when scientists warn of premature openings and dictate that masks are the number one deterrent from the spread. Greg Abbott has decided that 100% capacity for all businesses should be opened up again. There should be no mask mandates in any county, at least not coming from a national level. This, of course, has prompted prominent Texas Democrats to claim that the strategy is, is honestly just a shield for criticism, again, against Greg Abbott's handling of the electricity crisis during the absolutely shocking 30-year low in temperature that recently plagued Texas. Uh, we didn't cover it here on the show, but when it happened, it was, of course, in essence, if you don't know already, Texas lost power because they have a privatized power grids. Let's go private companies. Awesome. Perfect. 100%. Double thumbs up. They managed to blunder that so hard that Greg Abbott is now trying to apologize to couch out to his population, which is majority Republican. They, again, who want reopenings. They've been asking for reopenings for ages. So he's going to reopen schools at 100% capacity. He's going to reopen businesses at 100% capacity. He's going to be opening everything with no masks at all in order to kind of have a, a, have a bit of penance to his Republican constituents because he feels he's done them wrong, uh, which of course is true. However, this is not the way to repay them. And, and quite honestly, it, it's going to be a bloodbath. It's, it's going to be a slaughter. Uh, right now, about 13% of the population in Texas has gotten one of the many shots that you need. Uh, of course, you need multiple shots of the vaccine to have it be fully effective, though with 13%, just a little over 13% sitting with at least one of the, the four, I believe, shots that you need. You're, you're looking at what scientists, of course, like I said earlier, call premature and, and believe that it could only 
likely spike deaths in, in the state and, and could possibly bring the state to a record number of hospitalizations, especially after a self-created and, and somewhat contained super spreader event being the loss of electricity in Texas, forcing many families to seek shelter in warm areas. I don't mean geographically, I mean inside shelters where they were provided blankets with electricity and hot water. That, of course, brings people together, all of you in one crowded area, many people not wearing masks. If you didn't have them, you weren't prepared to bring one. Regardless of the situation, like every other major gathering we've had during the pandemic, they anticipate a spike, they anticipate a large spike. And so when we come out and say, no more masks, everything's back open. I hope you all have fun. And you see millions of people go back to work and millions of people go back to school. And millions of people now realize that they can go out to work and, and eat and they can go with friends. They can hang out at a friend's house. They can go and hold parties with no masks, of course. You got to imagine what would the beginning of the pandemic been like if instead of one case starting off in Texas, you started off with a couple tens of thousands. That's what it's going to end up like. You're going to have zero regulation and you're going to have plenty of people infected just coming off of the back of the dismal failure that was the electric failure in Texas, which, of course, to be fair, this is not condemning Texans or condemning the people that struggled under it. It's not their fault. It's the government's fault and it's the private company's fault. But they're the ones who are going to pay for it with their lives, with the, the safety and security of them and their families. So, no, I'm not trying to be vindictive, but I, I will quite honestly fuel my anger towards people like Greg Abbott, who are now smiling through what is going to be an absolute bloodbath in order to gain very small amounts of favor within his party. Of course, being challenged by Beto O'Rourke, most likely for the governorship come his reelection in 2022. In my opinion, Beto doesn't have a chance, but it does seem to scare Greg just enough to have him act so irresponsibly. And we're going to see how it plays out, of course, in the statistics and the number of cases. And if there's no fallout from this, then I'll eat my words and I'll be wrong. And I'm sure every state will follow suit. However, every state that has brought down COVID restrictions and, and even opened at 50% capacity with masks, we saw spikes in cases. Iowa, Florida, Alabama, Texas, previously, of course, having half reopened at, at some points and then had to reclose. We've seen these statistics. They should know better than anybody. So you wonder why <laughs> I, I hate to recycle the same uh, mimetic joke here, but but why? I don't understand. I, I just can't comprehend it. I understand the political theater. I understand the partisanship. I understand all that. But as the man sitting in the in the governor's seat, how can you how can you look your constituents in the eye on a broadcast and tell them all it's going to be great? It's going to be perfect. Let's all take off our masks. Let's go to the beach. Let's uh, let's go to the diner. Let's all go to a friend's house. Thank God this happened after the Super Bowl, because we would quite honestly have a cataclysmic amount of super spreader events in Texas. And you would see thousands of people dying and you would see ICUs and hospitals hitting 100 percent capacity within days. So I just have to wonder why, as we look at these news stories, as we see this fallout, which is about to become us all, I just have to wonder why. So. It's definitely going to be interesting, and I'm sure this will affect Greg Abbott as he moves forward in his political career, most most importantly, highlighting 2022. 
Will it affect his chances of reelection at all? Will he be primaried? Will he be defeated by Beto? I really doubt it. But if he doesn't get primaried and he stays as staunch in his ways as he is now and they do not pay off and they, they essentially do exactly what everyone is expecting them to do, I can imagine him having at least a difficult time, especially in, in, in a national race, which is highlighted by his actions. Of course, Texas being the biggest state to, to deregulate COVID restrictions at this time. We're going to have to see, but I can't imagine it's going to pay off. I, I really can't. So, again, all in due time. However, I think Greg's got a pretty rough road ahead of him. Thank you for listening through to the end. We'd really appreciate it if you check us out at Aligning America on Instagram and Twitter. And if you really enjoyed it and want more content like this, be sure to head over to our Patreon to ensure we can keep putting out episodes, changing hearts and minds one podcast at a time. Thank you.